0: Mickey, I bet I bet you could get into this merch game with like a. Uh, oh, I bet you could get away with way more than fifty dollars for a, a Troil Brooks uh, cowboy hat. You know, like a signature line. You could you could do way better than fifty bucks for one of those.
1: You know anybody that could set that up for me?
0: <laughs> we can make that happen. <laughs> we know any cowboys, <laughs> cowboy adjacent.
1: I've got I've got the hat. It's in my living room. I can grab it in a minute. Uh, it was like a Stetson. I didn't realize, like, I had it fitted and everything. I went to Langston's, the store in uh, Oklahoma City, and got it mm-hmm. fitted for my head and all that stuff. I guess I knew that that was a thing, that cowboy hats got fitted like that, but it was an interesting experience.
0: Are you are you not a cowboy hat guy?
1: No. That's, I, I mean, I've, I've worn cowboy hats as, like, props or something, you know what I mean, but not, like, fitted ones. I didn't know, like, you know, that just, like, oh, this was, like, custom to my head.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of it, but as a short gentleman, uh, I just feel like I can't
2: pull that off.
1: I'm short too, and I can't pull it off. So,
2: all right, Uh, there we go. It's confirmed. I I don't know, country gold, dude. I I bought it. I thought it. it, You looked very natural. Well,
0: it's a part of the whole persona. Uh,
2: That's in front of a camera, though. Yeah,
1: yeah. If I were out, like you know, hanging out with my friends or something, it would be another story. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> so are are you and Clark worried that you can't be like cool and down to earth and very approachable in a cowboy hat? I don't no, know. It,
0: well, <laughs> no, it
2: would be like, why
0: is this? Ch- why is this grown child wearing a cowboy hat? <laughs>
2: yeah, what birthday party did he escape from? Dude, take it back. The longs, the tall, skinny people get enough. We we could get that. They hats. get a lot. Yeah, they do. They get a lot.
0: But um. Mickey, it's it's great you're here. Uh we love your work and uh so much so that I we've seen in the past forty eight hours, I think we've seen four of your films as a little refresher. Couple rewatches in there, we're ready to go. I think you first came on our radar several years ago. Chattanooga. Uh, during Chattanooga, yeah. uh with Climate of the Hunter. Cool. Um and uh we, yeah, we became um uh, big fans of, of what they were doing at Chattanooga. And I thought that online festival that year was huge. And for your movie to be a part of that, uh, that was probably pretty big. So uh, how, how was that, you know, uh, it just did the festival circuit in general for that movie. Uh, for climate.
1: Yeah. So, well, my history with Chattanooga goes before that, we made a movie called arrows of outrageous fortune and premiered that at Chattanooga. Um and then that we actually went there, like actually went to Chattanooga and then Climber the Hunter was all like online because um, yeah. of the pandemic. And I think like that actually helped that movie a lot because it wasn't like up against some other bigger screening, you know, it was just kind of like watch at your leisure the way they had that set up. So I, th- I feel like a lot more people watch Climber the Hunter than they would have if it were, you know, if it weren't during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, he got a deal with Microsoft and they streamed the whole thing and like, it was just uh it was super impressive how, uh, he was able to pull all that off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was pretty, basically we, we went to Climber the Hunter for the U S like the, uh, Austin fantastic fest that year. And then every festival after that, I feel like was, you know, online like that. So. Cause I remember that was the first one that got into Fantasia in Montreal. And I didn't get to go that year. Didn't get yep. to go the year after with Agnes, but finally got to go this year with country gold. So, you know, finally, like with country gold, finally actually getting to go, you know, see some of these places that climate and Agnes played that I wasn't able to at the time.
2: Now, Mickey, what was the feedback uh, that you were getting for climate of the hunter? I'm really curious how audience took to that movie. Um,
1: I mean, mostly positive, I feel like. Uh like, you know, kind like Climate of the Hunter, we've played it, yeah, so we played at Fantastic Fest, and then like then we played like a festival in Nashville, I think, uh, Nashville Film Festival, like the, the month after. Uh then we started making Agnes, and then so it was almost like a year later, I mean almost, like whatever, like June, July, I can't remember when Fantasia is, but it was kind of like we had fantastic fest got a couple reviews and and uh you know a couple people watched it there and then Chattanooga, more people um watched it there and like a lot of reviews out of that like i said because you know it was online so it was just like you know anytime you want to watch it um and then it played at fantasia later on that july or august and uh then it got like kind of a resurgence because i was kind of like ah i guess this is the movie like this is what we did with yeah. it. Fantasia, it got a lot more uh recognition. And then uh then we I think we sold it to Darkstar right before Fantasia. And then Fantasia got a lot of uh a lot of reviews and uh, you know, a lot of people uh watching it and liking it and it was like, Alright, cool. It's I guess it's alright, you know? Um and then Agnes the next year, you know, got, got our asses kicked a little bit with that one, so
2: Good. I can't wait to get there. Um, now, here's the thing. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say I think uh, Clark is a Stan of yours. Is that fair, Stan? Yeah. Are you a big fan of Mickey Reese? I, I, and I and I am I an Eminem <laughs> song? Exactly. You how do you not know the verbiage? Yeah, you're a millennial. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, yeah I don't. You know, I don't read Reddit. I don't All understand right. what goes on over there. So basically, when we play Good Cop Bad Cop today, I'm going to have to be the bad cop, and Mickey. Correct. Uh Clement of the Hunter. I'm going to be Man, I'm going to be honest with you. When I watched it, I went, what the hell? What are we watching? <laughs> like, And I mean that in a great way. Um, you had a movie that looked like Anna Biller had done set design, and, but there was like maybe David Lynch had wrote it. And it's kind of like a vampire drama, except it's not really clear until the third act. And it's kind of a film about aging people on the brink of immortality. And we're like analyzing the stars. And I remember thinking... I'm not sure I understood this movie. I'm not sure if it's the movie the director wanted to make. But I know whatever they do next, I really want to watch. And like, now that I've gone, uh, I, I feel like I know you a little bit better. I've watched, I think, five of your movies now. I just know you're an incredibly interesting director. And I'm not sure if you're trying to challenge your audiences. Or, like, I, I can't wait to to hear about like your inspiration or like how you come up with your tone because *Climb of the hunter was very different from everything else we watched at Chattanooga. And it stood out to me and you know, I, where do I want to start this? Um, did Anna Biller do your set design? No, Oh bad boy.
1: <laughs> uh, no. Um,
2: <laughs> dang. I thought it was going to uncover something there.
1: No, there was no way we had the budget for that. Uh, Caitlin Shelby did our uh, set design on that movie and she just knocked it out of the park. Um, I remember when we were doing those, uh, the dinner scenes. I mean, the only thing I gave her was just kind of like the food needs to be wild. It needs to like, you know, come alive like Beetlejuice, you know, it looks, needs to look like it's just, you know, good. The the food is going to eat them. Um, But then, you know, once we got there, I was like, okay, I think we can pull off seventies here these cabins. I think we can just you know set this in the 70s because it wasn't, wasn't written to be set in the 70s um but it was just like I think we can pull that off with these locations because I would always prefer to make it take place in the 70s any movie um and uh so then so she then she got all these 70s cookbooks and all those foods looked fucking weird <laughs> on their own so it was like all right just, she just like recreated those and you know did an incredible job with it. Um, as far as, uh, you know, that movie came about because uh, a friend of mine had, um, it's actually the gentleman who owns the big house that we shot Alien in, mm-hmm. he also had these like kind of getaway cabins uh, in a oh, town man. called Tahlequah, Oklahoma. It's, it's uh, not even Tahlequah, it's like outside of Tahlequah, anyway, it's, it's just a some strange town uh, about... Two and a half hours away from us, so we all like set up there like summer camp because we had these cabins, and it was like, well, shit, we have three cabins for free, so you know, let's write the movie around that. I knew the actors I wanted to use, so it was like, the location came first, and then, um, you know, then the script. We knew we we knew we were going to make a vampire movie, and you know, didn't really know, and we knew it was going to be, you know, kind of, I guess, directing wise, like kind of Ingmar Bergman inspired. Um, and especially with the two uh, uh, female leads, that situation that it was going to kind of go into like this, like psychology of them more, um, and then just you know got out there. We actually went to the cabins to ride it to kind of like you know get the fill, which we still do okay. is like go out to those cabins and ride. And um, yeah, that's kind of what came out.
2: Wow. Okay. So the you know one of the things that stood out to me when we watched it at Chattanooga was how active of a camera you were employing and you really nailed that like 70s horror vibe with a lot of like zooms and pa- and i so often directors like it's all tripod work and i i really like seeing a uh, stylized camera movement so did you come up with that when you realized you were going to go 70s aesthetic oh um no i don't know i mean i think the movie would be the
1: same movie if we didn't say that it was in the 70s or the set design wasn't well no it it wouldn't be as yeah i mean it wouldn't look as cool but um
0: wouldn't be as horny
1: yes but as far as like the camera stuff goes yeah it was always gonna um be with zooms and then uh cinematographer samuel calvin who's just you know a fucking amazing super talented cinematographer and uh when we discussed it and decided like, yeah, we're going to do four or three. And then it was just like, from, from then on. And we also, we didn't have tracks, so we couldn't do like Scorsese pushes or anything. Yeah. You know I mean? So it was like working with what we got and you know, what we got is zooms. Dude, they're beautiful. So, yeah. so kind of like started uh going with it and then just kind of leaned into that style more as we went on. I think the first scene we shot was the, um, the dream sequence where she's like uh in that bar with all those uh old vampires like playing poker. hmm That's like the first that was the first day, first thing we shot. So yeah, and I do remember there was a big zoom on that, but that was kind of like, you know, a dream sequence. So but, you know, we were all so like excited about it And the monitor, it's just like, well, the, the whole movie gotta be like this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love a good zoom.
1: Yeah, and actually just saying that out loud, like thinking about it, like, you know, we should always do like the the real, the dreamy, you know, the dream sequences or dreamy parts first and then kind of establish the language that way. That's probably how "Why Climb the Hunter came out that way.
2: So how much of a script did you have before you showed up at the cabin?
1: We had the whole script. It's uh, the only thing not in the script is uh, the announcement of the food. And that was whenever she uh, would make the food and then she would tell us what it is. And I just loved her little voice. So I was like, hey, will you uh, narrate this as well? I feel like. I feel like everything's in the script. There might be a line or two that comes in here and there, but yeah, it's all written in the script. But if you just read that in a script, you know, yeah, it doesn't do much.
2: Yeah, I. It's uh, man, I'm, I'm kind of like shocked to hear that the um, aesthetic was last minute because your films come across as so calculated to me.
1: Well, like, yeah, I'm like, like the, the production design, I mean, you know, she did a lot of work on that, but I think, you know, I think, and I, and I same, same with the lighting, you know, all that stuff is, you know, kind of figured out in pre-production and stuff. But yeah, I guess like camera movements, it's like, we didn't know how, how far we were going to go with the zooms or how, like, it, we, it's like, it's almost like we didn't necessarily say, we set out to use this cabins, these cabins to make a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And then we got there like, oh, well, this can be 70s. You know what I mean? Like, st- like style-wise, look like at the camera and stuff.
2: Dude, well, it fucking, it worked incredibly. And it's funny, when I was re-watching it, I couldn't help but think, I'm like, wait, did Flux Gourmet rip him off with with the food treatment? Now Randy, you could pop in here if you want to, but I
0: mean, you know, it's
2: I don't know. I think Peter Strickland's biting off you, dude.
0: That'd be something.
1: I've seen Flux Gourmet. I really liked it. Um, there's the what, Barbarian Sound Studio? Yep. Well, it's whenever uh Strike Your Mistress came out, people would say it was like Peter Strickland, and I was like, Who's Peter Strickland? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen his movies now at this point, but um, at the time, like, no. And also, I think I was, like, (sighs) it's always kind of, like, more ripping off, like, Bergman than Lynch or, or certainly not Peter Strickland, but, like, um, yeah, well, and Yorgos demos too. I mean, I really like, you know, the dialogue delivery and that stuff, like, but Climate really doesn't reflect that. Um, Strike Your Mistress does. But, um, yeah, so I, I think it was just, like, More like more Bergman than David Lynch, but I was kind of treating Bergman as if Bergman was, you know, like leaned into the horror of it more.
2: Yeah. Yeah, when I was watching Alien, I definitely was thinking Bergman. There were a couple of like uh, kind of exterior shots. I believe somebody was against a cross at one point and I'm like, God, that feels like Bergman straight up. And this has been kind of like the conversation I've had within myself is trying to figure out where you're inspirations in film come from and i apologize for saying david lynch i know that's such like shorthand for every horror hack out there David Lynch
1: is awesome so i'm not i'm not like he
2: is but i don't think people really articulate like what like Lynch is shorthand for i didn't get it but you i just, like it. you just
0: don't like the fact that lynchian is a word yeah i do
2: hate it <laughs> and you know i i compare you to lynch because i love your black and white work and i think black and white cinematography you really got to bring out like texture like that's the thing i loved about eraser head like the heating vent and all the close-ups like you really get like a vibrant feel and when you block out the color i feel like you can like sync up with it more and i i was really feeling that with um country gold and alien and i'm like dude it's like one of my favorite aspects of lynch so that's what i meant not to be like shorthand like
1: no, no no it's fine like i'm Worse people to be compared to than David Lynch. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but I feel like I feel like uh the friends that we have there are like kind of like they're horror hacks. I don't know why I keep saying this today. Yeah. But like I feel like you probably get a lot of Lynch comparisons just because like my experience with Climb into the Hunter was this guy's on his own wavelength and I just showed up and I'm not like synced yet. So when people can't describe, but they're like, hey, but it looked beautiful. Lynchian.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh the Hunter and Country Girl are the ones that got the most, like, Lynch comparisons. Yep. Um, Agnes, not really very Lynchian in that one. Alien does, but it's like you said, it's like kind of, you know, it, I don't know. I feel like that one leans more into Bourbon to a degree. I guess there's mm-hmm. some Lynchian in there, too, though. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's just, it's all it. <laughs> <bad.
2: laughs> it's just lazy. I, I think... You know, especially now, we have so many movies available all the time. People kind of watch them, they jump on Letterbox and they move on. And, yeah. you know, kind of the benefit of doing this show is we get to trap a director here for an hour and pick your brain about this. And um, you're right, country gold. God, you really could make a Lynch comparison to subject matter there. Because, you know, it's it's kind of like, what was the Wizard of Oz one Lynch did with uh, Nicolas Cage? Wild at heart. Yeah. yeah, Wild at Heart. It does kind of feel like that. Like, aesthetically. Like, okay, well, Country Gold, that's your new film. And it was one that I knew Clark was going to pressure me at some point to watch. Yeah. And. Because
0: it, it was billed to me as, Clark, this may be your favorite movie of all time. That's This movie is made for you. And they were correct. Because I, I, now Mickey, a couple things you need to know up top. Number one. Uh, I'm a gentleman and I was raised <laughs> properly on, on, you know, outlaw country music. So G- George Jones means a lot to me.
2: Mm. Uh, that's a real guy.
0: <laughs> okay. And, here's, there, and, here's and there my- we go. <laughs> and my counterpart is a scumbag metalhead
2: who has no appreciation. <laughs> I, You know, I wore this obituary shirt so I could set you up for that. <laughs> and I did think George Jones was almost a play on Jim Jones, like a cult of personality. Oh boy. Yeah, I had no idea. That, and that's where I'm at. And uh, Mickey, spoiler alert! I really like Country Gold too, and it still worked for him. Yeah, despite his painful ignorance. Well, it still worked. You know, living, uh, wading through my country ignorance and watching Country Gold, it actually made me kind of want to take a look at it. And you know, people I'd never thought about before, like Garth Brooks. I'm like, oh man, is that how he really is in this movie? Because what a what an interesting protagonist to have.
1: Well, yeah, I think the movie's more for you than it is for someone who's a fan of Garth and George, because I think people that are fans of Garth and George, you know, are just like, this has nothing to do with this. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) One. But two, it's like, it's not so much about like, there's, there's a, there's gonna be a Garth Brooks biopic. There's, there's already that George Jones TV show. You can get that. You can get that. From so many things you know you can get biopics from and from all kinds of artists that are just gonna all, they're all going to come out at some point you know what I mean everyone's going to get one and they're all going to be formulaic and they're all going to be the same because they're all trying to like capture like the actual story and the actual life but what about capturing the feeling of these people you know what I mean like that doesn't necessarily translate whenever you're sticking so close to reality
0: sure and it's also um, I, I need to provide a little bit more context in this is that you know not only am I a fan of George Jones but m- Maybe more importantly, um, I'm a weirdo movie fan. Mm -hmm. So it's the combination of those two things. So to put, um, you know, these two giants, um, you know, in their own right, um, to pit them in this, you know, fictitious wonderland was great. And it was it was it was perfect to play off of that. And uh, yeah, man, it's just I I, I just love that. But my first question um, is. And Mickey, if you need to answer this question by blinking, feel free to do so. But you know, have you had uh, has Garth Brooks in his very litigious uh, tentacle arms? I mean, are you getting any heat from the from the the fans in of G or uh, what's going on there? I wish. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great?
1: Yes. Um, no. I mean, and I knew that when it came out that it was going to be. It's going. It'll be divisive to well it's you know i knew it was going to play genre festivals so i knew that you know there were uh genre fans were going to be skeptical of it just like i don't want to watch a cowboy movie in black and white like what why is this even playing you know what i mean and then uh i knew anybody that was a fan of garth or george um was uh, was also you know not it wasn't going to go get on their radar either you know what i mean so it really just lives in this kind of gray area
2: And yet you made it anyway. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Well, here's this is why I'm going to make it. I don't (laughs) don't
1: think about who it's going to reach or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: And that's why I think you're a very important filmmaker, because I came to that movie. And the first thing I thought, so I'm a I'm a West Coast elite. Clark is from Mississippi, and he's been um, kind of holding it over my head how small my worldview has been over like the five years of doing this podcast. and what I've Seven, learned, seven years. Oh God,
0: thanks. It's been, a, it's been a ride.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I listened to the S-Town podcast and I remember just the echoes of people from the South being like, this isn't rare. Like, I don't know why people think uh, an interesting person living in the country is like this unicorn. And now I'm kind of like, I completely look the other way. And I'm like, God, I used to say flyover state like I've completely removed that from my vocabulary. But when I watch a movie called Country Gold as a horror fan in like genre fest, I'm like oh, I know so many people that would never give it a shot because country is in the title. And then you turn it on and it's black and white. And yet you knew that immediately and I'm I just have to say dude, thank you for like pushing forward anyway. And um the film's fucking incredible. So if you're one of those people and you're listening right now, Challenge yourself, sit down, watch the movie. Because I watched it and I'm not really sure. It made me think about comedy. Oh boy. Yeah. Cause there's one thing. Look at what you've done, Mickey. Comedy and horror. (laughs) These can steep you in the genre, right? And as long as something horrific happens, like Gore or a monster, we know what we're dealing with. Same thing with comedy. And comedy, and they can kind of overtake your movie. Yet Country Gold is a I almost want to call it like a sci-fi drama but it's very light on sci-fi, but it's also very funny. Yeah. But, it, but in no way would I pitch that movie as a comedy because I feel like you walk this tightrope of, dude, there's drama there. And I'm like rooting for Garth <laughs> Brooks the whole time. And I don't, I've never even, I couldn't name a song or could I? You could. Okay. And yeah, I don't know, man. Like how, where does your tone come from? Like how do you write a movie like Country Gold? I don't know how to answer these questions, but
1: (laughs) it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make, you know, I'm just trying to make like, uh, like, you know, Crunchy Gold is like an Alexander Payne movie. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's basically Nebraska. It's just when you get there to shoot it and, you know, you've got all these other influences and you've got um, all this stuff like in your, in your subconscious of when you, how you make movies, having done, so many movies you know what i mean it's just like you kind of like indulge every whim and that's 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 what comes out it's not such a like measured like degree of tone you know what i mean that you're just it's not so exact or so uh calculated do you know what i mean it's more like you're there in the moment and make it happen the script is a suggestion sure but you're there in the moment with the actors and what's happening and you're just kind of like you know what works with this scene and it's, and that's this, that's what, um, that's just from like, you know, watching movies and, you know, growing up the way I did making movies and stuff. And so I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's hard to like put into words exactly, you know, what, uh, how, how these movies come out, like the way they do, like tone wise and stuff. It's just like, you know, whatever I am envisioning on the day, you know, sometimes I want to be silly. And then sometimes it's like, Ooh, this is a good shot. Something serious needs to happen here. You know what I mean? So let's change, uh, let's change up the tone a little bit. Let's change up the script. Um, Let's, you know, let's change up uh, what the, how the actors are feeling in this moment because it matches this, this lighting more. So it's really just, you know, treating, you know, cinema as an art form and just kind of going with it.
2: It's incredible though. I hear you saying that. And I'm like, you're lying to me. Your product is so (laughs) polished. And it feels so cohesive. As a reminder, you're the bad cop today. (laughs) I know. know. What a failure. Mickey, we talk to horror directors. Dude, we talk to horror directors all the time. Indie, mostly. I mean, we, we put on a found footage film festival. So we deal with people who have no budget and an idea usually. And then a lot of them are very fluid in their approach. And they have very, if a script, a very loose one. And I look at their product. And if the idea is strong... Then we'll like the movie, but never does the aesthetic have a particular style. Does the camera have its own language or all the actors kind of, it feels like the actors are completely comfortable with you and they're just having fun, but they're also like fucking killing. Like, who? well, you work, he, he works with a lot of the same people, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's,
0: um, you know, like Ben Hall, man. Like, let's let's talk about him since we're talking about the movie and, and you know, and we've mentioned George Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't think there would be a ton of casting agents who would choose Ben Hall to play George Jones. But you did. And. As we're both, you know, salivating over the movie, it was the right choice because Ben Hall's a killer, man. You know, you use him in a lot of your movies. So just uh we're um you know, and he's been he's been working a while. So when did you, uh, you start working together?
1: Uh, arrows of outrageous fortune was the first movie and uh we were introduced and i was yeah making this movie Arrows of outrageous fortune and i had a scene with for like a dad like a dying dad in like one scene we got introduced and i uh, was like hey you want to uh, come be in the scene on this day so essentially we didn't have th- that movie we didn't have call sheets we didn't have lighting in that movie like we didn't have <laughs> we had sound in a camera we had a uh, call sheets or, I'm sorry, we didn't we didn't have any like call sheets or anything. It was literally just like, hey, we got this uh, location right now. We you know, pulled this favor. You want to come and do this? And so we worked on that. And I was like, all right, this guy's great. And so the next thing you know is, uh, I was like, you, we we want to do this uh, vampire movie. You want to play the Dracula part? <laughs> 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 and he was like, sure. And just kind of went from there. And then uh, yeah, we just you know, developed a good relationship with each other and, you know, obviously working on three movies prior to country gold. So, yeah. Um, acting with them, you know, well, you know, that's, I'm not really an actor, so it's like, but I'm in the scene with them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying the best I can to just kind of like, not or just, just like move him along, say whatever I need to say to kind of get him, you know, where he needs to be to, to move along. And that's kind of our dynamic. Um, and I mean, I think even, even in the movie, like the characters, just kind of the same deal. It's just like, it just becomes Ben Hall gets on the screen and then it becomes Ben Hall's vehicle at that point. And I'm just there to kind of like, you know, coax him along. So in, in a way, like, it's like, I'm, uh, I am I'm acting in it, but I'm, you know, <laughs> directing him through acting.
0: Right. Was, uh, was, well, you were talking about, uh, climate of the hunter being very closely Tied to the script. Was this the same for Country Gold? No. Yeah, it didn't feel that way. It <laughs> yeah. didn't feel that way.
1: <laughs> no, we were having fun. Um, uh, we you know, Agnes is the biggest project uh I've done, and it was like, oh, I don't know if I was ready for this. And um so it was kind of like very important to me to just like do another movie after that, you know, much, much less money, but I didn't care. Just like, I just wanted to do another movie after that. That was like more freewheeling and, you know, um, more, more freedom and just kind of do, uh, like a palate cleanser. You know what I mean? So the, so the next movie can be a, a bigger project.
0: Well, it's a hell of a palate cleanser.
1: Thank you, thank you. <laughs>
0: now,
1: I, Russ, I really like the movie too, and I, I, uh, I don't love all the movies, but I, I do really like that one.
0: When the why is that? Is it you know it, just making the movie, or you know the process of it?
1: Well, I just mean like uh, you know the 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 lore is that I've made. 30 movies or something like that 39 yeah. I don't know however whatever the number is now but like you know there's so much shit I mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, these movies are so bad <laughs> and when I watch them now I'm just like ugh, I can't believe like this is a part of the 29 or whatever you know what I mean is the is the number um and so yeah like you know i used those movies were sketchbooks those movies you know
0: yeah
1: I have them you can and if you come over my house you can watch them
0: <laughs> but, but that's about it. Well, Mickey, you know, think of it as like a, a mosaic. You know, it's a bunch of pieces that, uh, you know, they look like they don't connect, but it all connects to make a, a beautiful picture.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think you start from, you know, the first one and then go to now. It just you kind of see the progression. And I think and, and you know, sure. probably would would explain the tonal shift in, in the movies now. You know what I mean? It's all like kind of like a sketchbook to get to, to where I am now, to what I'm doing now. And these movies right now and 10 years from now, these movies will be the movies that I'm like, ah, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't care about those movies. You know, now we're making whatever bullshit I'll be making in 10 years.
0: Probably something VR, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, the
2: snake eats its tail, man. It's yeah. how I go. <laughs> to, Mickey, are you a horror fan?
1: Well, am I a horror fan? I I can't say that I am a horror fan, um, but I have, I grew up with watching a lot of horror movies and I've um, continued to do so, uh, but not all. You know, like, yeah. usually, I, yeah, no, I don't watch, like, every horror movie that comes out. I'm not just like, if it's horror, I'm in. That being said, if there is a rated R horror movie, in a theater and it has, you know, pretty good reviews. It doesn't have to be like, you know, necessarily I don't know, fresh mm-hmm. or anything, but you know, if it's you know, it's like if it's not like, you know, 10% or something, I'll usually go see it in the theater.
2: Oh, um, but that 10%. Sometimes <laughs> there's good stuff in there.
1: Maybe, maybe. All
2: right. But, what are your thoughts on Megan?
1: Um it's PG-13. <laughs> the old, the Pico, oh, the Peacock did it. an
2: R-rated now. Fuck. You dodged that bullet. <laughs> so,
1: it's not in the conversation.
2: All right, fine. Well, you know, I ask about the horror fan because <laughs> I hate myself, but I'm going to go back to Lynch. now. Jesus Christ. The, uh, Watch more movies, dude. Get more references. Now, Ben Hall, the yes. reason I bring it up is because I, he's fantastic in climate and in country gold. And I I was sitting there watching Climate of the Hunter again. He did a shit job in Agnes? Well, we'll get to Agnes. I'm trying not to talk about Agnes until we get there. I know. Are are we going to close with Agnes? I I would love to. Okay. Um,
0: With some alien (laughs) sprinkles.
2: Mickey does not look happy. So here's the thing. Ben Hall, he reminds me a lot of like Ray Wise at his best with Lynch, where it's a very like kinetic performance. He's owning like there's a lot of power in even how subtle it is. And I think it's a thing that most people can't do.
1: I love Ray Wise. I think Ben Affleck. I'm I'm sorry, not Ben Affleck. (laughs) I think Ben Hall Hall is a better actor than Ray Wise.
2: I do too. Yeah. I think so. But I think. But but Ray Wise got better hair. Well, here's the thing. I don't know. Ben Hall's got good good hair too. He's got decent hair. Here's the thing. I think Ray Wise was a, a dude who's just like a fucking professional. And I think David, David Lynch unlocked a, something in him and kind of brought it out. And I'm curious, like, do you, is there a Ben Hall performance that you drew on for, like, Climate of the Hunter? Or did, did you draw that out of him?
1: Well, after uh, working with him on *Eros, of Outrageous Fortune, it was just kind of like, yeah, like, this guy could probably do anything, you know? He's probably just been starving for this stuff, so.
2: All right. Now, you came into my world because you made a horror movie but you've mentioned Arrows of Outrageous Fortune so many times. Um, Should I check this out? Is it going to work? Now, the only tag on IMDb, (laughs) it says comedy. So is this like an actual straightforward comedy, or should I expect a Mickey Reese treatment here? So much anxiety coming from you. (laughs) but
0: Asking a director, should you watch his movie?
1: I will say that the majority of the movie takes place in reality.
2: Oh. Whoop! There goes gravity. Would you say Damn. that about Country Gold? Absolutely not. Interesting. <laughs> okay, because I know the framing. Like, I mean, we're talking about a country singer who wants to get frozen. It's like, so I know the premise is based on like um, an alternate reality. But man, everything that happens in that movie feels incredibly real. Like, I think what I what I like about all the films I've seen of yours is you have larger than life characters in a genre film who are dealing with reality, even though they're not in a reality like our reality.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing really it's just kind of like, well, you you said it with, you know, larger than life characters. Like they can't really take place in, in a, in a realistic setting. Or then you're just going to think, you know, like this doesn't make any sense. Why is this actor doing this?
2: (laughs) It's funny because it works though. So, okay. Now is, we thank you for sharing Alien with us, but you open up Alien, which is a film about Elvis Presley, and it has a Kanye quote, really? and I'm like, "Oh, okay, what are we doing here?" But what I took from the film is that it's about an actual larger than life character who existed in our reality, yet didn't fit in, and I, you know, when you open that up with Kanye, is like a framework it totally made sense to me. So I almost feel like, you know, you've, you've proved your own argument wrong where like, we do have a reality with a bunch of like crazy people in it.
1: Yeah. I guess what I'm saying, like the, it's a different world with, with a different logic in, in, in the world, in the film, you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, um, and I, and I'm saying that that's how that's, uh, that those performances are more interesting to me, but in order to complement them, to have these like big wild performances, if it's set in reality, it, it just it just doesn't like work. And I just mean reality as in like a an Andrea Arnold movie or something, um, like uh you know or you know something you'd see at uh, Sundance, you know, like uh, yeah, you know what I mean, just like one of those, you know, like a, a handheld like gritty indie drama that's you know where all the acting is good and it's very convincing. Um, but it's, it's, it's convincing because it like kind of makes you relate to something like in, you know, in your own reality. And I'm mm-hmm. saying movies are all fantasy movies to me.
2: So like mumblecore, like something like oh, very, sure. yeah. Yeah. I know. I totally understand that, but I've, I never have thought of any of your film. Actually, that does kind of work though. Because man, country gold, you have such a big premise there. And also I have to say, The opening scene of the um, beer commercial is, dude, it's hilarious. And you, now, why, was it always going to be you playing Troil? No. Also, Troil is a fantastic name. I thought it was made up until Clark told me it was his real name. Yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, No, it's not going to be me.
2: Um, Oh, you made uh, a mistake before then because you were fantastic, dude
1: well there was another gentleman that would have played it better this it wasn't gonna work out time wise um like you know just the scheduling and just all the stuff we gotta do it was also shot during covid and and that was a big factor and i was saying this guy's gonna play it all the time but everybody was you know trying to you know convince me to play the role and then i was like all right let's let's do it and uh yeah i thought it would be funny and thought it would be different and also just a a, a different i wouldn't say a challenge but because i have actually found it to be easier but just something new just something different um to act and direct like as such a big character i've acted in other movies but you know very small parts
0: did that affect you directing at all or was that a pretty seamless transition
1: it was better better because I'm right there with the actors you know what I mean so whenever I'm in the scene and I'm feeling that there's a problem um I know what it is whereas the other times I'm trying to 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 guess to how I can communicate you know um how to how to hmm, how do we fix this you know what I mean and whereas when you're in the scene with them you're like I immediately know how to fix this it's me I suck (laughs) <laughs> no I'm saying like but seriously But with like any any other actors you're right there in the scene With them like acting so I mean Yeah it was I found it to be uh, Easy
2: So damn so the Garth Brooks Thing that wasn't like a character you would Do at parties or like in a fraternity <laughs> no. Is it Accurate here's the thing I don't know Garth Brooks like that so
1: It's not accurate at All <laughs>
2: Okay, well, here's the thing. You're playing a protagonist who by um, by my West Coast elite, uh, very small worldview. I just know that Garth Brooks is huge, but somehow none of my friends listen to him. So it's almost like, you know how now celebrity we have. But but you did have friends who did listen to Chris Gaines. (laughs) So Chris Gaines comes up as almost an oddity of culture. So I did know about that, but I, I don't know any of that music either.
0: Also, Mickey had his own little Chris Gaines uh, know, throwback
2: maybe. in there as well. Yeah. Well, you
1: know, like whenever we did Alien, cast Jake's novel as Elvis, and this guy does not look anything like Elvis in you know, any stretch of the imagination.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> you, you put that hair on, you put those glasses on, no one's going to be confused on who it is.
0: And and you do. Carl, do
1: yes. You put that hat on, you put that shirt on. No one's confused at who that is. Of course it's Garth Brooks because he's got this iconic image and it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's very American. It's very, you know, a part of our, even if you didn't grow up listening to Garth Brooks, like, you know what Garth Brooks looks like for yeah. the most part, most people do.
2: Well, now the, the personality is that accurate, or were you like riffing that?
1: That is not accurate. His personality. His personality. Oh. Uh, it's he's, he's strange.
0: He's a sociopath. Okay,
2: that kind of comes through, though. I I think he's it, it's he has sociopathic tendencies. But is he a dick? Is he like a shitty person? Like, oh, I
1: don't know about that. He seems pretty. He seems nice. He just yeah, I wouldn't like he he's lives more in world.
2: Yeah, he's because he
0: knows he knows he's Garth Brooks. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. It's like he's not going to jeopardize that for being a dick. He's and also he's he has cultivated his own universe, and he it's is like, the king of that universe.
1: Yes, Garth Brooks is like is Garth Brooks down to earth? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Is Tom Cruise down to earth? I don't yeah. think
2: so. But man, Mickey, you pro- you made your protagonist somebody who I came into the film thinking. Uh, It was a bit and that when we got into the meat of the movie, w- this character would actually be gone and we were going to be uh, attached to somebody else. And that's only because there's a lot of baggage with Garth Brooks and me not knowing a lot. I knew like, oh, I'm not rooting for you yet. There was a certain point in the middle of that movie where I was completely rooting for him. And, you know, he's not doing any you're, you're not doing any favors to the audience like you don't make it easy, but he's a principled motherfucker in this film. And he's not a bad guy. He may be like kind of fraudulent and faking it a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, he's kicking people out of his hotel room. He's telling well, He's got to make marry. a living too. Yeah, but it didn't, it didn't feel ugly like that. Yeah. Like it didn't feel like he was doing an L.A. thing. And I just think that performance was fantastic, dude. Like I came out wanting to root for Garth Brooks, but I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't I'm so out of touch with this. Like, I don't know if this is a complete parody. Like he's actually a terrible person and you made him likable. As a reminder, I, bad cop. I, <laughs> I think
1: you're, uh, I think that's more in the script than it is in the performance, but I, but I appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, I, shut oh, up, Mickey. I, <laughs> I there, I'll be bad now.
2: Let me take out my baton. <laughs> no, dude, you were fantastic. And you're playing off of uh, who's George Jones? Is he like a, a bad guy, like gun toting, a lot of stories about shootouts in a bar? Well, the, the biggest thing, and, and,
0: and Mickey included this in the film. Uh, one of the biggest things about George Jones is that he would he canceled so many shows. Oh, okay. Because he was a degenerate alcoholic, um, which is now interesting about because the biggest news story in the state of Mississippi right now is I've never heard of this guy, but Morgan Wallen's apparently a huge. He's like the broke country thing. I don't do that. Is he the racist guy? And also, he got in trouble for saying the N word in a promotional thing. Yep. Okay, I didn't even know that. Well, anyway, that guy uh, sold out back-to-back nights at Ole Miss's football stadium. 65,000 people there. Saturday night, had a show. Sunday night?
2: Nothing.
0: No, they packed out. They had the opener. The opener did an hour and a half. Oh, no. Then, like, an Instagram story scroll came on uh, the giant Jumbotron saying that he had lost his voice and the show was canceled (laughs) and they would get refunded. So, like... That was that just mirrored to me like the whole George Jones thing. Is like, you know, that was a big thing. It's like, and he even mentioned that in the movie that, uh, you know, especially at that time, going to a show was a big event. And, you know, you got to think of People it as, drove as, out, as yeah. it's a bigger cost than just the ticket. Yeah. You know, it's the yeah. parking, it's the dinner before, it's the travel, it's the hotel stay, it's the airline ticket.
2: Well, that's why when we were talking about, you know, being nested in like this film genre reality. Whenever he would tell a story and we cut to like film language, like you visually uh, materialized it, it read like a lie. And I'm like, oh, we're doing like an Errol Morris thing here, where like the reenactment's gonna prove how outlandish this story is. Yet when he's telling that story, we just get an oral telling and it feels so real. Yeah. And when you have a character that's like a legend, like Arts Brooks, who is canceling work to go meet uh, an icon for him. It's like, well, this is a very real thing, too. We hear it all the time. Don't meet your heroes. Like you don't know if Rob Zombie's gonna be cool.
3: <laughs> <laughs> his brother is
2: <laughs> his brother is very cool, yeah, but that's you know, and it's like you've taken an icon and put him in a very regular person scenario and i dude, I don't know i I thought the film was fantastic, man uh
1: well i i I'm glad you like it. <laughs> Um, I like it quite a bit too um, and the yeah that was the the scenario was the, uh, the I'm sorry like the the plot outline of just you know George Jones invites Garth Barrett out in the town in Nashville the night before he used to be cryogenically frozen <laughs> that was set up years before the script was written when the script was written it was just kind of like alright this is you know it just seems like these are the characters. This is what has to happen. You know what I mean? Like, it was almost like the the movie writes itself at that point. Yeah. When you have an outline like that. And so, yeah, of course, you have to put yourself in Garth Brooks' shoes. If Garth Brooks was to go, um, I don't know, if the, you know, I think Garth Brooks was a pretty big fan of George Jones. Of course he was. Like, why wouldn't he be? Um mm-hmm. And I think he even mentioned it in, in an interview with like Barbara Streisand or something, but I, I think he mentions a bunch uh-huh. of them. I don't think he like singled out George Jones in that interview, but of course he's a big fan of George Jones. So of course this is how this would happen if they were actually going to meet. But, you know, that's just to kind of lull you in to, you know, then they go, then they, they meet up in Nashville, which is this uh, fantasy world.
2: Yeah, it's the way that you set up the movie too with the commercial where it, he feels like he's, like he's not wrong to get mad <laughs> while filming that commercial, but it feels like you're punching down. So, you know, you start off it with an like an abrasive relationship with our protagonist, and um, I think it was the wedding ring where he puts the wedding ring up in the camera, and he's like, I'm married. I was like, man, what a cool moment for a not cool thing to say in a bar when you're with your hero. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, dude, you completely... He won me over, and I'm like, you know what? I'm rooting for him. Yeah. And then when he goes to get a massage, I'm just like, does he not know what that means? Like, I don't know. Again, I'm going to pivot now. I know we're running out of time, but um, a longtime listener of the show, uh, one of our homies who does another podcast, he reached out and personally asked me and Clark to watch Agnes. I believe at this time we weren't completely aware of Mickey Reese, right? We saw Climate of the Hunter, but... I don't think we made that connection because it was just, it was just,
0: it, wasn't, it was a nun
2: movie.
0: That's what, yeah. <laughs> and I, believe- and we, I didn't look into it. We were like, all right, we'll watch it. Because it, it was, it was packaged in with Benedetta. Yeah. And it was like, well, watch this other nun movie. And we were like, we're nunned out.
2: I know. And, but me, honestly, when I was looking at um, Agnes, I'm like, honestly, this looks more up my alley. I didn't really connect completely with Benedetta. It felt a little too randy if you know what I mean, like a little too uh, self-aware art house, like not actually pushing any boundaries. If you're going to make a kinky movie about a nun, be brave about it. I don't know. I didn't love Benedetta. <laughs> but so then I was like, Agnes looks more up my alley. We got a bloody mouth up here. We're some carnage. And then I, I watched it mm-hmm. and I, I instantly knew why Tony asked us to watch the movie. Confirmed. And I'm like, I guarantee you. And I believe, I think I said this on the podcast when we covered it. I'm like, this looks like a movie that would be on a Walmart shelf. And you would just blind buy it. Cause you're like, I know what I'm getting here. Like that nun's going to kill people. It might not be great, but it's going to deliver. And I may not even hate it, but I won't hate that. I bought it. And then you get Mickey Reese <laughs> and it's like, Whoa, dude, that movie made me emotional. And, and, a, and I, I am, a am a sadist. And I, one of my favorite theatrical experiences when half the theater walked out of uh spring breakers. So I do need to give you a little bit of context there, but I was watching the movie falling more and more in love with it. And I just knew people are going to be fucking angry when they watch this movie. And I'm curious were people angry Mickey.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the, um, at when it's screened at fantastic best. um, there were some people that came in dressed like nuns. Oh no! <laughs> and I did an intro beforehand, and I just looked up and said, "I'm sorry."
0: <laughs>
1: Man, that I mean, being said, though, before that, that was before the uh, marketing came out, so you know, no one it 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 reflected the movie more, you know, during the the festival run than it did when it went to.
2: Streaming. wait so you didn't make that poster for the movie <laughs> dude that was the thing and you know we've talked to many filmmakers on here who have a poster that is just not in tune with their oh, film yeah. but i think agnes might be the most un tune because it's easy you could make a poster with a nun and give it like some texture or you know there's a way to signal randy in there. And again, we use Randy for everything art house, indie, foreign. Uh, you do. I do. <laughs> and yeah, and there's I is use a Randy way. to be horny. Because the problem Andy. is that Agnes is a fantastic film that uh it, it gets buried in like the wrong genre. Mm-hmm. And I understand you can make money with a horror movie. So I know why a distribution company would do that, but man, is that fucking shitty. What a fucking shitty move. Although, you know, honestly, you probably got a lot more eyes on it. Hey. I didn't do it. I know you did. <laughs> but here's the thing. So again, uh, shout out to Tony from the Blob show because me and Clark watched it and I was like, dude, there was a point in the third act where we're, our character completely left the church. She's no longer a nun. She's struggling with like a, a, a Safeway kind of job. Like she's stocking shelves at a grocery store and she randomly goes into a comedy show. And I'm like, whoa, where are we right now? And the thing, I was home, friend, I know, I know, and I'm like <laughs> we've we've stumbled into like we were big fans of Butt Boy. did you watch Butt Boy?
1: I have not seen it i I know what you're talking about
2: it's it's almost like I again, I opened up talking about your influences because I'm like, are you like a a comedy fan like Tim Heidecker in here there's there's some like anti comedy stuff that you kind of harness,
1: big Tim Heidecker fan,
2: okay. Cause that came through and I'm like, I don't know if I'm projecting because we love High too. And I'm like, I'm Agnes, I got it. And when we watched Agnes, I'm like, holy shit, we gotta Mickey Reese, we gotta like keep a pulse on him. And I believe was that before or after you watched Country Gold? This was after. Okay, it was after. Yeah. So you you kind of already knew. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I think you made a one of the most harsh, scathing takedowns of um again, this is me projecting. You don't have to agree with this Mickey, but it felt like if we're going to do non-sploitation, you did it in a way that felt real where our Agnes isn't possessed by the devil. She's almost possessed by like clarity and she's uh she's got this like new cynicism that I feel like I harness in my day-to-day life. And it changes somebody's mind so much that they leave the comfort of the church because we learn it, it's pretty comforting. They provide a lot and start struggling with the landlord and rent and working a job. And it was one of the most existentially horrific things I think I've seen a character in a horror movie experienced. Because we're used to our protagonist defeating the monster, not kind of like leaving the warm embrace of uh, like a belief system and turning out into the cold open mic <laughs> for an hour. I don't, there's something so stark and real about that movie that I, dude, I'll remember it forever. And in the same, well, who can forget Paul Satchimo? Dude, Paul, what a good name. Also, by the way, Mickey,
0: <laughs> we, when we talk about Agnes, I think we talked about all the posters in Paul Satchimo's room more than we talked about the movie.
1: <laughs> that was one of
0: our favorite parts.
1: Yeah. Same production designers, the hunter. Caitlin Shelby. She did that. A plus.
2: So, okay. Now, were you a gun for hire here? Is this like another baby of yours?
1: This was, yeah, this was John and I wrote the script. I mean, it's, it was just a, the movie, but, uh, and we had a bigger budget. And, um, yeah, that, uh, came with some challenges that I, uh, don't think I was ready for at the time.
2: Yeah, you mentioned that
1: earlier, but we not ready for, I mean, you know, the movie's the movie. It was, it's the movie that we intended to make. It's just, uh, there were just some, uh, things that I kind of just, it was hard to navigate some of, some of it. Um, not necessarily in the, during the, uh, creative part of it. Um, it just, you know, it's like stuff like we're talking about, like, you know, the poster, you know what i mean just like little things like that that i wasn't ready for that i never had to deal with before and i was just like i don't know how to do this and it kind of like made me realize um how other how like if i had seen a movie like agnes or something like that and been like what about a poster and now it's (laughs) like i understand like how that happens yeah um
2: do you have fond memory of the movie, or I almost feel like that you have like some regret here? No, I don't
1: regret the movie. Um, I just think it's just kind of it's hard to talk about because it's like, it's the movie that isn't the movie. You know what I mean? Like when whenever, whenever the movie that the the first movie I had that actually goes out to audiences is just like you know marketed wrong.
2: Yeah, and you know, the only reason. I'll tell you, Mickey, I fucking. I think I have the dumbest voice on the planet. And I really wanted to do a podcast that, you know, we could sit here and talk about like a Bergman film or a Lynch film or like the way people talk about it, but with a film like Agnes, like one that I think is like five star movie needs conversation, but like never connected with an audience or maybe people just overlooked it because of marketing. And you know, I'm glad that I can sit here and and, you know, have you on a video call and tell you. That, that movie, I think, is like as close to as perfect as you can get. this, The end scene where they're talking about a sandwich, like you know, I'm—I wouldn't even say I'm agnostic. My mom wishes she made me go to church more in my life. I think I turned out okay. I beg to differ. I, en- I end up fighting for the church a lot because I'm like some people just need support, or like I wish people could interpret what the Bible's doing better. And I think you know, <laughs> on a local level, you kind of get what you get with people at a church. And I thought you gave a perfect example of what somebody could do with like Bible teachings and relate it through a sandwich. And I thought it was one of the most profound things I had seen in like, just like cinema, like period. And I knew that I'm like, me and Clark might be the only audience for this movie, though, (laughs) because we have so many friends who love horror. But I'm like, I don't even know if they would make it this far. And it's like the other, the other problem is with that poster. I'm like, was Randy ever going to watch this movie? So I kind of went into my own head thinking about like the afterlife of the film. And I'm I'm curious, do you get a lot of people reaching out? Like, Hey man, I love that sandwich monologue.
1: I can't take credit for the sandwich monologue. John Selvich wrote that. Um, But yeah, I think, yes. Like it's, it's, it's going to be hard for people to discover because of the poster because they're going and the people that do discover it are going to be very upset that they wasted their time. But yeah, once in a while, I'll get someone that, you know, really likes the movie and, you know, realizes the situation and, you know, that, that always feels good.
2: (laughs) I, do you think it hurt? Like, do you think it closed doors for you? Oh, well, I didn't want to,
1: I wasn't I didn't want to make a horror movie after Agnes anyway, so I was already gonna be kind of starting from the ground up at that point, you know what I mean, as far as you know getting a comedy funded so i I mean there you know if honestly, if a movie's hard to get like financed and hard to get made, that means it's fucking good,
2: yeah, yeah, and you know i I really like your uncompromising approach, so maybe it's a good thing because what if Agnes was that movie on the poster and you made a ton of money? And then you just had this James One projection. You you could have a ton of money, but I don't know if people are going to let you make country gold.
1: No. No. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I'm just I'm in a place now where, uh, you know, as long as I keep the budget small, I can, and you know, don't have to rely on, you know, big names to to get the financing, which is, you know, one thing. Another thing with money, as long as I keep the budget small, I can make whatever I want. It's uh, going to bigger budgets because, I mean, which is understandable. Shit, if I had money and I was going to give it to a movie, I wouldn't want to take some risky shit. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want I wouldn't fund a movie about a black and white movie about Garth Brooks. I can tell you that much. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, I get it. I understand it. Um, you know, but sometimes if I if I get on a movie that I really want to make, like it's hard to let go of until I get it made.
0: Well, what about, would you be interested in making a Paul Satchimo spinoff movie?
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't know, maybe. All right. Maybe. Yeah, uh, the, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, the movie we're making now um, is called The Cool Tenor. And it's, I wouldn't say, I mean, I, you know, I can't say it's audience- I don't think it's as, I, but I think this about all the movies. I don't think it's as challenging as, I, it's certainly not as challenging as Agnes. Um, It's only challenging in the right that it doesn't necessarily fit into a specific genre. So, I mean, so in that vein, it'll be marketed as an art film, hopefully with any, with any luck. Um, But yeah, but it's got, uh, it's got comedy, obviously. It's got drama. It's got a little thriller element to it. Uh, and it's got even some sci-fi in it you know what I mean it's got it's got all the things um and I and I think I will I will make another horror movie again I'm not saying I'm done with horror movies I'll make another horror movie but I'm it doesn't interest me right now so yeah I mean maybe if Agnes would have been the movie on the poster maybe I could have made something you know a little bigger um that you know still fits into that mold but just wasn't didn't interest me
2: you know would be a good horror movie for Mickey? What? A Paul Satchmo oh, zombie. You're an idiot. Here's the problem. A24 needs to get off their ass and scoop you up. Because I think they figured out a way to like market this like soft art, soft horror kind of... What, what are you Mickey, Mickey's at? A25, dude. <laughs> Fuck A24. That is fair. The, the critique I had of Benedetta, I don't think we would have with Mickey. He's not pulling punches and doing soft king. We're going all the way. Why are you taking down Verhoven? He's 119 <laughs> years old. Fuck Verhoven, make way for Reese. <laughs> Mickey, I'm I'm not blowing smoke up your ass either, dude. I, I don't know why it was making me laugh before I even got that out. I'm a huge fan, man, and I I really think as a genre fan, I mean, behind Clark, I know he's got Freddy vs Jason and Texas Chainsaw. They're mine. I'm the one I love genre and I love it when people come in and shake it up. And the problem that Agnes gave people is it's it doesn't fucking hold your hand and it's not clear what's happening. Like Disney has really put fucking put tracks on everything from the trailer to the tone. Like you could be in the other room and know exactly what's going on in that movie because it's so dialed in. You you have a little bit of mixed signals out there, but they're not they're all working together. They're just doing something different. And I think it You know, challenging is the word that keeps coming up. But I think people are kind of, we're in a daze. We're just Amazon Prime, Peacock, Disney Plus. And, you know, Agnes pops on and you're like, wait, what happened? Like something, something broke through here. So, man, I would hate to lose you in the horror genre. Because Climate of the Hunter is a very interesting vampire movie. And I never thought I would like Renfield. But Nicolas Cage really made me look at like the vampire portrayal again. And I think you nailed it in that movie too. You had a powerful vampire character. It's not easy. So I, I on behalf of horror and the community, we still need you Mickey. So please don't, don't shun <laughs> us. We're dumb sometimes. We just don't know better.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I I'm working on a horror script. <laughs> it's a, it's more of like a Brian De Palma kind of situation though. You know, I mean, I don't wow. know. Is Split it, screen. I was going to say it. Well, yeah, it's a, is, is dressed to kill a horror movie?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh dude. That's one we can't really talk about anymore because people try to like put that on the shelf because it's transphobic.
1: I, I, I I've seen a, the
2: film. It's kind of a light spoiler. I'm sorry for. Oh, well, I
1: bring that one up because like that one is, but blowout really isn't.
2: No. It's more. Well, I don't think they are. It's if you take everything in broad strokes. And you're like, oh, Norman Bates wore a dress when he killed people. They, they, Hitchcock must hate trans people. It's like, I, I don't think that math works out. But um, I think what Clark was thinking is more sisters, right? Because we get a lot of dual screen in that. Yeah. It's kind of an ongoing joke me and Randy's had forever. Anytime we see a split screen, we're like, dude, De Palma. Of <laughs> dude, I would love to see you get like uh, way out there. Way weird and artsy.
0: So what I'm hearing is you're doing a Snake Eyes remake. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's what I I I'm hearing. Snake Eyes. Who does it? Yeah. <laughs> the G.I. Joe? Oh, my God.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> now you've
0: embarrassed me. Well, let's let Mickey go. Uh, so, Mickey, uh, this was a failed experiment of good cop, bad cop. <laughs> we failed miserably at that. Uh, but man, it was it was it, we were we were thrilled that that we were um, able to talk to you today. And also, um, you should know this is that uh, by Oksana, you were named the easiest guest to book in the history of this show in seven years. So congratulations! Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I try to be accessible.
0: That's it. You're just prompt, and I can't tell you. You would think that you know us dealing with all these independent filmmakers over the years, they would, they, you know, there'd be good back and forth prompt response. But you're you're at the top of that list, my friend. So uh, we appreciate your efforts.
2: Yeah, and anytime you want to come back on and let me just uh, wax your car for an hour, <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. You know, I didn't if, you, if you're, you're having having a bad day, Mickey, call us. We'll we'll pick you back
2: up. Mickey, you're a fucking enigma, and I really wanted to like pry into it, but I'm like, I don't know. I just I felt the need to tell you. That your movies really made an impact on me. And I, you know, they're not directly aimed at me, but I'm like, dude, you're a hell of a filmmaker, man. Mickey, he's like blushing right now. I generally have a red <laughs> hue, but he's uh
0: <laughs>
3: he's taking that for me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was I'm glad you guys had me on to talk to me about that stuff.
3: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts